Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I continue my conversation with Matt Midget about the Beach Boys. Usually this is the time where I would do an opening, talk a little bit about the show that's coming up and about my guest, but I feel like the first part of this conversation is kind of the opening, so there's not much more for me to say. So let's, uh, let's jump into it. There is no preamble. Like the Beach Boys say, let's get there fast and then take it slow with Matt Midget. Take it away, Anthony. Um, there's a there's sort of a there's a story that I've heard. I don't know a lot of details about it. It may be apocryphal, but um, there is a story that I heard. Um, a few stories, examples of Paul McCartney working on songs. And he would go to other musicians' um, households with like the tapes, the demo tapes, and he would just like play them. Yeah. And he'd be like, "Oh, what are you working on?" You know. And then he'd, you know, whatever. He'd go to Mick Jagger, or Keith Richards, or whoever, and he'd be like, "Oh, that that sounds nice. Here's what I'm doing." And then he'd play like Blackbird for them or whatever. Yeah. And he was kind of a dick about it, you know. And and the story, <laughs> the story that I heard was he would go to Brian Wilson and he would like almost torture him because he'd just be like. In in the sense of like you know we should play each other's songs for one another and and he would play Brian like Hey Jude or you know whatever song it was probably not that late okay. but but like it would be a Paul McCartney song and 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 it would you know the thing that I heard and like I said it's probably apocryphal was that that sort of led to um, his breakdown was just that pressure of uh, breakdown. I, I, breakdown. I don't think so. Okay. Um, but definitely they were definitely in competition with the, with each other. Yeah. Um, Brian and, and they were out, in communication with each other. Yeah, correct? yeah. Yeah. They everybody everybody was talking to each other then. Yeah. Um, Brian puts out uh, the Today record and the Beatles hear the Today record and they put out uh, Rubber Soul mm-hmm. and Brian Wilson hears Rubber Soul and his first thought is, Oh my God. This is amazing. Yeah. There's no, there's no filler on this record. It's all, it's he, all just front to back. It's, it's amazing. He's not wrong. He's not. He's not. Uh, but the version that you've been hearing um, for most of your life, I'm assuming. I don't know how deeply you go into the Beatles. I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's pretty deep, like like all of us. Fair, everybody yeah. goes like, everybody goes at least you know like a couple feet down. Sure. When it comes to the Beatles, um, there were different versions of the record. There was the English version, yeah, which is what's been released on the CDs, and then there's the American version. Right. which was often a different lineup. Right. Brian right. Wilson hears the American lineup, which oh. is a different lineup. Oh, so than he what, gets the singles. Um, sort of, yeah, he gets that, but it's, I think it starts with a different song, but it's almost all more folky. Yeah. It's a, I think that maybe it has Drive My Car, but then it kind of leaves off some of the other harder ones. I think, oh gosh, see, now I'm going to expose myself. I think the British version starts with Drive My Car. I think the American version starts with something else. Uh, I'm not familiar with something else as a Beatles song. <laughs> so, oh, sorry, something. Oh, right. No, that's okay. And that's... then also else is is a lesser known. Well, because the American uh, uh, up until Sgt. Pepper's the um, the American releases, they would uh, the 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 record companies would take the singles that the Beatles would release in England, um, which wasn't the the way that the the British bands would release their music was that they would create an album and then they would record songs in addition to and release those as singles right so you wouldn't get those on the album um because they felt like they were cheating you if you had to buy their music twice um and so what the american labels did then was that they would kind of take the singles that were also released concurrently with the album and they would kick off like two of the weaker songs from the album and they would replace replace those so it was actually a lot of times the american albums could potentially be considered stronger better albums in terms of like songs okay yeah okay so here's here i found it cool a uh, track listing for the u.s version mm-hmm. is i've just seen a face yeah norwegian wood you won't see me think for yourself the word michelle it's only love girl i'm looking through you in my life wait uh run for your life yeah so yeah i mean that is a that is a, a rock solid list, start to finish, and you got in my life there right by the end, which is that's a that that's just a hell of a song. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he he hears that and he's like, I'm I'm not doing anything. <laughs> my work is my work is no good. Yeah. I'm gonna put together an album that is the best album of all time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make an album with no filler. 
and I'm going to make it as a personal statement that talks about me, Brian Wilson, as an artist. And of course, the rest of the Beach Boys are out on tour at this point, and so they're they're not really there. Um, sure. And then Capitol says, "Oh, that sounds really good, but we need a we need an album for Christmas." <laughs> so he he goes in the studio and he does uh, what some people actually consider to be the first unplugged album. He does an album called Beach Boys Party, oh. which the tagline or on the on the record it says recorded live at a Beach Boys party. It was not. <laughs> um, it was uh, recorded acoustic in a studio, and then they would sort of overdub other things on it. Sure. Um, but on that is a song that became a, a really big hit for them, Barbara Ann, which is a cover song. Um, and to, to kind of tie that back in, uh, Dean Torrance of Jan and Dean sings, uh, or is it Jan? Jan Berry? Dean? One of them. One of Jan or Dean. One of the Jan or Dean comes in and he sings that song. Uh, he sings the high falsetto part on that song, which is why the high falsetto on Barbara Ann sounds a little bit different than every other Beach Boys hit. Yeah. Because it's a different person singing the top. Oh, wow. Um, and that goes on to be number two. So the studio gets like, well, that, thank you. That works. Um, so you keep doing your thing. Do your weird thing, weird yeah. guy. Um, so he, fin- he finishes party and he, he gives it to Capitol, just kind of like, here you go. Here you go. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yeah. He goes in and he finishes his, this record that he wants to make. And it's all filled with his, his favorite sounds. So mm. he calls it Pet Sounds. Oh, that's what pet refers to. Yes, it's not. Uh, it's not like um, like dog or cat. Right. They are pet sounds. Right. Like his his favorite sounds. Like someone has a pet peeve. It's theirs. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, a pet peeve. That's my peeve. That's my peeve. My peeve. Don't touch my peeve. Don't touch my peeve. That's, these are my. This is my favorite peeve. Don't touch my sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he does that. Uh, the rest of the Beach Boys come back from Japan. He plays it for them, and they literally don't know what to think. Sure. Because at this point, uh, it's 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 the backgrounds and it's just sort of guide vocal tracks where it's just sort of him singing it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, uh, well, he's been doing great so far, so let's just do what he wants. So on that record, you've got Wouldn't It Be Nice. Yeah. I'm pausing so that everybody can sing Wouldn't It Be Nice in their head. <laughs> uh, Sloop John B. Again, pause. All right. And God Only Knows, mm. which is... Just amazing, just beautiful, beautiful songs. Yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney goes on record as many times as saying that uh, God only knows still brings a tear to his eye. Uh, that nobody's musical knowledge is complete without pet sounds. Sure. Um, and it's just it's an amazing record back to front. Um, but the record company didn't know what to do with it because it was a sad record. Yeah. There are sad songs about every song on that is a sad song. Even wouldn't it be nice? is effectively a sad song about happiness. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's longing for. Or, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we could, if we were older? Wouldn't it be nice if this? But we're not. What well, we're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's ultimately the conclusion. Yeah. Uh, we're so miserable. So <laughs> Yeah. Um and then he puts that out and it doesn't sell real well. Really? Yeah, it's considered their at the time it was considered their first failure. Oof. Um which you have a record now that's considered one of the consistently ranks in the top 5 records. Uh, some places have it as number one. Some people, have, some places have it as number two. Easy, yeah. Either immediately before or immediately after um, Rubber or Revolver or Sgt. Pepper, depending upon you know who's doing the ranking. Sure. Um, but was considered a failure at the time. But then they send it over to England, and in England, it's huge. Um, they actually, based off of the the strength of Pet Sounds, they win a readers' poll for best vocal group in the world. In it was an, it was an English poll for mm-hmm. best vocal group in the world. So it's like, yeah, it's like the world champion for the NFL when <laughs> right. they, they only play in the U.S. <laughs> right. And unless you're Mexico City or London once or twice. But, I mean, the, the teams are all here. Yeah. Um, well, good for them. And so they beating out the Beatles, they win, mm-hmm. uh, which was huge because nobody beat the Beatles at anything. No. Um, and then the record company gets nervous. So the record company panics. They put out uh, the very first compilation of, of many called Best of the Beach Boys, which includes... Uh, just a like just a couple of a couple of decent songs but just some album filler just to try to get people to listen to something you're just buy this record buy this record right forget this other record exists Do, uh, buy one we get the other one free just sort of <laughs> doing that sort of thing just yeah. to try because they were panicking about the record um and then uh brian is like well it's it's still my personal statement it's what i believe it's it's fulfilling me as an artist and they're like but yeah but it's not selling um band goes on tour 
the the songs from that record, the the kind of hit songs from that record remain remain hit songs mm-hmm. um, for them, um, especially in England. It's England. It's it's just really taking off. Sure. And so Brian, at this point, he's like, well. I guess I'll go back and I'll start working on a song that I was working on during Pet Sounds. And it's the song based on the idea that his, of something his mother told him, which is that uh, dogs inherently know good people from bad people. Mm-hmm. They can just tell uh, because people put off vibrations and oh. dogs feel those vibrations. Right. So he goes in the studio and he takes a couple takes a whole bunch of different versions of this song that he's trying to put together. And it just It's not working out the way he wants it. Um, so back in that day, when you were editing a record, you would have, you would have a big tape. And if you needed to cut a section out of the tape, instead of just, you know, bringing up your computer, taking out a section on Pro Tools or whatever, and removing it and pushing it back together, you would actually figure out exactly where it was, stop the tape, cut it, move it forward until you wanted to pick back up, cut that, then tape the two together and splice them. So that was how you would edit out if like, maybe there's a... Um, if you, you want to like the first half of one record or one take, the second half of another take, you just sort of mix them and then you splice them and then cut them together. Right. So he decides to do that because he's got all of these different tracks and different studios and different versions of the song. And he just starts splicing them together and it comes up with good vibrations, which, um, goes immediately to number one and becomes the band's biggest hit. Um, ever. Uh, to that, up that to time. that point, up, up to that point. Yeah. Sure. Um, and it blows everybody away and people are like, well, now, now we have, now we have a new Beatles. Now we have an American Beatles. <laughs> right. This is amazing. Um, because you know, that comes out at the end of 66. So it's like they, uh, the Beatles put out rubber soul and beach boys put out pet sounds. They put out, um, you know, the uh, Beatles put out revolver. Mm-hmm. Brian Wilson puts out, um, Good vibrations, and then his, th- and his next thing is like, well, now, top this, this. Stu- yeah, top this, and the Beatles are at this point they've locked themselves away. They're not touring anymore, right? Um, so Brian is like, you know what? This this way of recording really worked for me. So I'm going to do an entire album like this, where I'm just going to, and he just starts recording snippets of things and little bits and pieces because even this. You know, Good Vibrations was this huge hit and amazing, like just artistic jump. And you've got so many different, you've got vocal sections and you've got a theremin and you've got uh, cellos going and you, they do this music video for it. Um, and uh, the, the, all the stuff is happening and going on with it. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I'm stuttering. There's just so many things about it. No, nope, you're fine. Um, and the music itself, if you take the lyrics out, the music is a score for a horror film. Like if you just if you just take the lyrics out and you just listen to the music, uh-huh. like you're talking about taking the lyrics out of. If you just take the lyrics good out vibrations? of good vibrations. Okay. The music by itself is almost like a horror film soundtrack. Yeah. Like not it's not the soundtrack to an actual horror film, but it's like it it's, sounds like it could be. It sounds like it could be. Yeah. Sure. You got the weird sounds and everything else. So he just he's doing this amazing project, and the record company is like, yeah, more. He's like, okay. Right. So, well, if that really worked, I'm going to do something else. So he starts putting together this album, and he's like, well, Good Vibrations, I call it, it's, it's a pocket symphony. I've got all these different things going on, and um, it's all these different arrangements and sections. So I'm going to do an album, and it's going to be a teenage symphony to God. I'm going to call it Dumb Angel. <laughs> dumb Angel? Yeah, Dumb Angel. Okay. Which um, could either be non-intelligent angel. Right or or mute, mute. angel. Got it. Uh, mute would, of course, for the Beach Boys, be a very outside the box, being that they're a vocal group. Yeah. And if they angel was mute, <laughs> um, so uh, after after a little bit of thought, he decides like, uh, maybe we won't we won't uh, we won't stick with this. We'll we'll change the name, and he changes it to Smile. Mm-hmm. Um, also, at this point, uh, purely on a whim, he sees a guy named Van Dyke Parks, who was another sort of musical prodigy, and he's like, "You, I want you to write lyrics." Okay, so um, he's writing music. Uh, Van Dyke Parks is writing lyrics, uh, and in, in interviews, Van Dyke Parks will uh, very specifically said, um, "I wasn't writing anything." Like he would start telling <laughs> me, he would start telling me an idea, and I would just sort of, I would just sort of jot down what he was saying. Right. I was more like a scribe than <laughs> a lyricist, but you know, he was like, "No, no, Van Dyke is writing the music or writing the writing the lyrics." So he's he's doing that. Mm-hmm. The Beach Boys are now out touring with Pet Sounds, which 
in addition to being incredibly complex and not selling very well, is very difficult to do live. Because at this point, you still have the Beach Boys still live are a five-piece band. Two right. guitars, um, one bass, and drums. Yeah. Uh, being played by guys who are not studio musicians. They're, Carl Wilson, especially, is a very good guitar player. Yeah. Um, but Dennis Wilson is not Hal Blaine. Um, right. You know, uh, Bruce Johnson is not Carol Kay. Right. Um, From the record. They're good. Crew. They're good players, but they they aren't that level of studio musicians who just work and work and work and work. Um, so they're having difficulty doing it. Mm-hmm. They get vi- they get good vibrations, and they sort of work out this arrangement where they actually create a ribbon synthesizer, which is just like a little button. It's like a, a one line, but they just touch and move back and forth, and it just makes the sound kind of close to the theremin. Oh, yeah. But the arrangements are, again, incredibly difficult. And sort of Carl Wilson is sort of tasked with figuring this out for their live performances. Um, so in the live performances, are they there's they're Sans Brian at this yes. point? He's not... Yeah, he shows up um, for big television appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about it. Okay. Um, he just doesn't... He just stays away from it because anytime that he gets on the road, it stops his momentum in the studio. Sure. Uh, and... You know, you still have that competition going with originally started with like the four seasons and now it's it's neck and neck with the Beatles. Like, uh, top this. Ooh, rubber soul, I've got to top that. Pet sounds, oh, I have to top that. Ooh, revolver, I have to top that. So he starts working and they, he's putting together this album called Smile, and the centerpiece is supposed to be a song called Heroes and Villains. Mm-hmm. Um, which exists uh in multiple formats. Um, there are some versions of it that are like eight, nine minutes long. There's some versions of it that are like two minutes long. There are sections, uh, but much like Good Vibrations, where it was all, all different sections, there are interchangeable sections for that song. Um, the rest of the Beach Boys come off the road. Brian is having difficulty getting it, getting everything together. He plays it to some of the guys in the band. Um, nobody really knows what Al says, um, which I'm guessing is the whole reason he constantly gets glossed over. If he'd just been a little bit more stronger in his uh, yeah. appreciation of or hatred of right. the Smile Project. Stop being so neutral, Al. Yeah. Stop stop being the guy that just wants to do this and have a, have a good time. <laughs> right. Um, and Carl is like, oh, come on, Brian, you can do it. And Mike is just like, I don't get this. I don't get this at all. Hmm. Um, Mike doesn't sound like that. That's, uh, just, that's, that's not my Mike impression so much as it's my just jerk impression. Right. Um, but at one point, he just he just calls it you know, Ryan's ego music. It doesn't make any sense. Or ego music, it doesn't make any sense. Um, there's a song uh, called Cabin Essence where it's uh, one of the lyrics is over and over the crow flies over, over and over the crow flies over the cornfield. Hmm. It's like, what does this mean? I can't relate to this. And Brian's like, I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, he's getting pushed back from... The rest of the guys in the band and then finally carl at one point is just like look man i don't get it it doesn't make any sense and that's the point at which brian just says what the hell with you guys oh okay um at that point brian wilson um while he will remain a member of the beach boys for years to come effectively says screw it you guys are on your own um, and he's just like, in I'm not going like to deal with this. Creating new content, right? Um, or creating content at a level which he is challenging himself, and right. he is going to be the best ever. Um, shortly after that happens, uh, the Beatles release Sgt. Pepper, mm. and he reportedly listens to that, and he's just like, Well, I nope, they they did it, I'm done, right? And he shelves Smile, uh, supposedly forever, um, in 19. 19- 67 he finally gives up on the project early 1967 uh it does eventually get released in sectional form um as a beach boys record um the smile sessions just a big like four disc box set mm-hmm. um and at this point uh their reputation in pop culture just takes a nosedive oh. uh jimmy hendrix has a has a moment where he's uh, the Beach Boys were supposed to play like Monterey Pop, which was like a big, it was going to be like one of the big festivals, Woodstock style festival. Yeah. And the Beach Boys drop out of it. And uh, Hendrix famously says, you know, surf rock is dead. <laughs> Oop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that just kind of cuts the legs out from under. It just sort of stops them right where they are. Right. Um, and then you are at the point where that's sort of the, that's the end of the 60s creative period for the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, um, like they sort of put together a couple of the songs and they put out an album called Smiley Smile. Okay. All right. Uh, which had good vibrations on it. Right. Uh, and it had a version of Heroes and Villains on it. That's pretty good. Uh, and then 
sort of sections of reworked versions of songs that were supposed to be on Smile, but Brian Wilson was like, well, you can't have the tapes. You have to do them yourselves. Mm-hmm. So there are these really underproduced, um, just sort of fragmented bits. Right. Um, and where everything up until that point had been, had sounded beautiful, even if it was, if it was melancholy or sad, there are things on there that actually sound disturbing. Um, let me see. I'm going to... And how much is Brian a part of Smiley Smile? Um, He is a part of it in that he gets credit for um, songwriting Mm -hmm. on it because most of the songs have a heavy bassist in in stuff that he was writing for Smile. But it's the first album that's credited, uh, produced by the group. Um, Songwriting credit in the 60s gets a little little weird and a little funky. Um, And then they would eventually go on and there are like lawsuits back and forth. Um, but let me see, here is, yeah, here we go. This is just a bizarre track called Fall Breaks and Back to Winter. (laughs) Okay. The Woody Woodpecker Symphony. Oh. Yeah. Off of the Smile record. the Woody Woodpecker. Yeah. So, like, when I said earlier, I was talking about You're So Good to Me, it sounds like what happens when musicians are, you know, they're just, uh, they're playing on some substances. Mm-hmm. Uh, by this point, it sounds like what happens when those substances have, are no longer good, and <laughs> right. you haven't had them in a while, yeah. and you're just kind of detoxing off of them. I mean, so who's is, putting that together? Um, the rest of the guys. Are they trying to, uh, are they trying to approximate Brian's like sound? Um, a little bit, but they also have a record company that's saying you owe us a record sure, now. Right. Like we, you're supposed to do three records a year. You did one record in 1966. But instead of, but instead of going back to like the surf sound or whatever, they, it, it sounds like they're just like, well, Brian, Brian makes a bunch of noise and he puts things together. We're going to do the same thing. Yeah. A little bit. Well, and, and there's a there's a whole thing there as an artist. Um, once you start doing stuff, that's like once you advance beyond a certain point, you just when, once you're once you're painting like massive landscapes, you typically you don't go back to just like sketching caricature, right. caricatures. Right. That's and just, I suppose if Jimi Hendrix stabs a sword in your in your genre, then yeah, that's pretty much um, it. That there is an upside to what Hendrix was saying. There's a, a a second train of thought that Hendrix was saying that because of he heard Heroes and Villains and was saying that surf music is dead because that song is so good the Beach Boys don't need to do it anymore. Right. Um, that's my own personal take on it. Okay. I'm probably very wrong. It's very positive. It's, um, but I tr- yeah I try very to, optimistic. Try to, try to be optimistic. Okay. Um, oh, and one thing I, I forgot to mention because but it's relevant to both of us because mm-hmm. we do we improvise. Yeah. Um, when Brian was working on the Pet Sounds album, he was listening to a comedy record, a comedy record over and over again called How to Speak Hip. Oh. Which was a comedy record put together by Del Close. That's cool. Yeah. Was he listening to it just because he had it or for inspiration? He, he, just, or? he just listened to comedy. He loved comedy. Yeah. And so that's where he would get those little bits. And you'd have occasionally you would have songs that were kind of comedic. That were sort of put in, um, where they had one song called "I'm Bugged at My Old Man," which is just a guy at a, pia- at a piano. I'm bugged at my old man, <laughs> cause he threw away my TV. It's some stuff like that. That's right. not the actual lyric, but it's that same sort of yeah thing where there were always like little com- comedic bits. That's cool. But yeah, so Pet uh, Sounds becomes influenced heavily by Del Close. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Del Close, um, do you want to you want to tell people who uh, Del, Del Close is? Del Close is basically considered the the found one of the two founders with Charna Halpern of uh, Improv Olympic IO Theater in Chicago, where um, long form improv kind of became a thing. He was part of, uh, gosh, what's the there was a big group in San Francisco, I think it was the. Uh, there was the committee. The committee, yeah, yeah, um, and basically developed long form as a performance style. Yeah, um, and. Uh, that actually holds true. It holds through to to this day, uh, because the one of the advanced Herald teams in Chicago is called Carl and the Passions. 
that's one of the the headline IO teams consisting of like what are generally considered like their most experienced, their best guys. Like TJ Jagodowski was in it when I saw them, mm-hmm. and, uh, a bunch of other people. Uh, Carl and the Passions is the name of a Beach Boys album from the early seventies. Wow. So everything's connected. Yeah, it's all it's, <laughs> it's all it's just one giant long form. Everything is callbacks on each other. At this That's point. it. Yeah, just um, recapitulations. Yeah. Awesome. So they just decide at that point they're like, well, we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna keep moving because also that's all we know to do. Like we've been doing this for the past seven years. That's our career. We don't want to stop. Right. And so they go out and they continually play for smaller and smaller venues, but they're still putting out occasional good songs. They'll put out an album to put out an album called friends, which was actually this really low key acoustic album that sort of predates the white album a bit where the white album was more laid back and a lot more acoustic guitars. Yeah. Fr- the friends album was laid back and acoustic guitars. Um, but not quite, it, they were just so far out of the, the, kind of public consciousness at that point that it didn't matter right um and then on the next album they release a song that becomes uh the prototype for basically every successful song they've had since which is do it again Mm -hmm. um i'll pause for a second so people can sing do it again to themselves Right. Okay. So they've they've been doing it. Do people know that one? Uh. Oh. Wow. They don't. I don't know. Okay. I don't know um, if I know it. Oh. You know. Okay. Wow. Okay. See. And this is this is where like somebody who d- <laughs> listens this to them all your, the time. This is your um this heartache is, tonight. Yeah. You're going. What? How can you not know it's there's a party tonight? <laughs> so here here's do it again. As soon as I play it, you will know it. Is that Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, okay. Yeah, you know it. Yeah. Yeah, and you also reach that point like, yeah, oh, I know this song. I can yeah. stop. Yeah. So, and the reason that's the prototype is because at this point, this is 1969, mm-hmm. they're in the final year of their uh, Capitol Records contract, and they put out this song, which is basically a song that says, hey, man, everything used to be great. We want to do it again. We want to make it great again. Right. Uh, and this is where <laughs> they effectively, at this point, it really splits into sort of two camps. There's uh, Mike Love, who is, at this point, like, he's just, he just wants to play the hits. He just wants to play that, that, that kind of hits. And then there's the other guys in the band that are like, but we're, we're artists. We want to, we want to grow. And Sure. Um, so that kind of becomes the major struggle for the band over the next 14 years. Um, they release a, a couple album of, not a couple, they re- released a bunch of albums in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them are uh, passably good. Some of them have a couple good songs. Uh, Sunflower and Surf's Up are the first two that come out, and they are excellent. Uh, Sunflower is considered to be their best album post uh, Pet Sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the first time it's really where every single one of them are all kind of doing things together. Once again, it's not anything with like a huge hit on it. Right, but as an album, especially in the '70s when people were stopping the focus from singles to working on whole records, yeah, it became very popular. Uh, Surfs up is another one. It's got um, a couple of songs on there that are uh, pretty well known. Uh, Disney Girls is uh, the least well known of the well known songs right. on that record. Um, but then they did Surfs Up, which is from the Smile Sessions. So it was one of them. They sort of pulled that song out of Smile, okay, to rework that, uh, and then what is considered to be the last one of the two last great uh, Beach Boy songs is a track called Till I Die, which um, is probably one of the saddest and most beautiful songs that I have ever heard. I'm going to go ahead and give you. Who wrote this one? This was uh, Brian Wilson. Oh, so he's still involved writing songs. He's still writing songs, but he's just not writing them to the point where he's like, going in the studio every day and he's just working his ass off. Right. He's just sort of, he walks down, they've actually built a studio in his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is during the infamous, uh, Brian Wilson, uh, is in bed for three year period, which, uh, Brian Wilson was not in bed for three years. <laughs> Brian Wilson sort of checked out yeah. from most things for three years, but he didn't, the urban legend is that he spent the time literally in bed and he would just get up to eat and go to the bathroom. Right. Um, that is not accurate. Okay. They, they built a studio in his house to kind of get him out. He would spend most of his time, just sort of playing the piano or sitting around his house, not doing anything. He wasn't actively involved in stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was, he was super overindulging in drugs and everything at this point. Yeah. Um, and the, the mental illness kind of struggles that he was having were really 
getting to him, but he would have moments where he would just walk out and then hand them some music. And like, this is one, <laughs> this is one of those songs. He just walked out and handed it to him. Outside of the like background harmonies and stuff, I don't think that you would even guess that that was a Beach Boys song. No, if you didn't, if no. you didn't know it. Yeah, it's um, it's so personal that he's kind of reached the level where he's just sort of stripped everything away, and that this is just what he throws out there and gives to them without right. any sort of art, like kind of artifice in the end. Right. Um, and how's and, I mean, how are they responding? Is Mike Love just going? At this, what the hell's going on here? Um, at this point, they are just like they are happy to have Brian Wilson do anything, mm-hmm. uh, because what they have found is that without Brian Wilson, they're only pulling a hundred people into New York. Right, right. Um, but then after this record, um, they have um, they have a, a, a resurgence. They actually go on and they play um, a show at the Fillmore, or they kind of come out with the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. and. They, the Grateful Dead plays Help Me Rhonda with them. And then all of a sudden you have all these deadheads that are like, hey, this band's pretty good. That's my deadhead. That's, that's <laughs> it's it. good. It's, it's okay. cool. Your, your impressions are spot on yeah, right thank, now. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. You're doing well. Um, so they go and they, all of a sudden, now these people start showing up at their concerts. And um, the Beach Boy, uh, after this, Bruce Johnston quits. And Carl Wilson has been working with a group in South Africa called The Flame. And he takes two uh, South Africans and brings them into the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this guy named Blondie and this guy named Ricky. Uh, Ricky's a drummer and Blondie's a guitar player, uh, but also a singer. Uh, Blondie actually, after they leave the Beach Boys, goes on to be one of Mick Jagger's backups oh. in, in The Stones. It's all interconnected. Yeah. Um, Very incestuous. And um, then... Uh, so they they go on tour and they put out another album. They have a song called Sail on Sailor, which is also really good. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play it. Uh, just look that up on Spotify. Sail on Sailor. Um, Sail on Sailor. Got it. They do that song. It becomes another pseudo minor hit. That's considered the last of the great uh, Brian Wilson Beach Boy songs. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually become a huge concert draw. They start putting out concert rec- live records. Um, and at this point, they're playing some stuff from the '70s when they're kind of doing the album stuff, but they're always uh, starting the show and ending the show with a couple of the big surf era hits. Right. Um, this moves on until you've got the mid seventies. They sort of have a, the thing where they manage to get Brian Wilson back into the studio. They make a big deal out of it and they call it the first Brian is back tour. Um, (laughs) uh, they didn't call it the first. It was the first, though eventually it'll be known as the first when they do more of them later. They couldn't have known. Right. And they pull. It's like how the world war one was just called the great war. The great war. Yeah. Or, Man, a lot of people died. They couldn't have anticipated a second one, yeah. or at least well, they were. They, it was the war to end all wars, right? So they're it, like, oh, they, there can exactly. Never they actually be went war. too far in the other direction. Yeah, they, they said there will be no more wars after this. And yeah, and then there were there were wars, so uh, many wars, so many, so many big ones, and big ones too. <laughs> um, so they bring Brian back. They do uh, the fifteen big ones is the record that Susie Cincinnati is on, right? Um, that a young three year, eighty three year old me would fall asleep to. Um, and so they had that, and then that becomes sort of like a pseudo-successful tour, but Brian is still not actually stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, he's been uh, hospitalized, and he's been he's got uh, Dr. Eugene Landy, is this other thing that's kind of working in it. And I really recommend, uh, watch the, uh, the film Love and Mercy. It's a John Cusack film where John Cusack plays an older Brian Wilson. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's a really well done film. It's, there's still, it takes liberties because it's a, it's a film and it's Hollywood, but it's, it's just doing that. Yeah. 
Um, I've been meaning to catch that. I really do want to see that. Really? Oh, okay. Well, you know, if after you, if you want to watch it sometime, I have it. I'll give. I'll let you borrow the Blu-ray. I'll That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Put it in your put it in your box. Or cool. Whatever. Um, and so, um, like, see, so he's kind of in and out of, of various um, sort of facilities and uh, therapies and that sort of stuff. He opens a. He opens a health food store at one point where he's ballooned up to 300 pounds and he opens a health food store and he won't sell people vitamins because they don't have prescriptions. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at this point in time, like all the various members of the band, they all get divorced, they all get remarried. So they're all kind of going through those things that just happen, un- things that happen to people. Sure. Um, they released another couple records. The next one is called um, Love You. It was originally supposed to be a Brian Wilson solo project and it's ends up being mostly just the three Wilson brothers, uh, Brian, Carl, Brian, Carl, and Dennis. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of, they're singing and it's real heavy on uh, keyboards and, um, virtually no guitar. And about this point is when some of the stuff starts to go, the humor starts to go a little bit too far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. There's uh, and this is also the point where I'm not going to play the songs for you. <laughs> okay. Because if you want to hear them, you should, you should listen to them. Right. But I don't want to, uh, I don't want to put them on a podcast. Uh, I don't want to force people to listen to them who don't want to. They should come with a warning is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's one called Solar System where he just basically rhymes the names of the planets in a waltz. Um, there's one called Roller Skating Child where it's, it's just a guy watching a girl roller skate, which gets creepy. <laughs> um, yeah. so, a song called I Want to Pick You Up, which sounds creepy, but then you realize he's talking to his baby and it's like, oh, okay, that's really cute. He's picking up his baby. Yeah. And then the, the outro is Pat, Pat. Pat, pat, pat her on her butt, but, but, <laughs> and it's like, man, ah, uh, yeah, uh. he's, he's lost his mind. Yeah. Was that due to, I always, I always thought for some reason that it was a stroke, but, but I've since learned that it's, it's, it's more, did he, he just fried his brain. Um, yeah, I, I definitely mean, he, drugs, definitely drugs were involved. He had a nervous he breakdown, definitely had right? a nervous, He had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's had a couple like diagnosed, like mental, sp- specific mental issues mm-hmm. um i don't know exactly what they are i just know that they are very specifically diagnosed right um mental issues uh and he was heavily medicated and also abusing the shit out of drugs right I mean, this is a guy who um you know he was doing the oh am i supposed to not say shit You're fine. <laughs> okay um okay uh, so like he you know was smoking three packs a day and ballooned up to 300 pounds and like he's just not taking care of himself at all so they, yeah. that's why they've got like people sort of trying to take care of him and they eventually, at one point, they just have to fire him from the band. Right. Um, even though he had effectively, like, creatively, like, kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to be that guy anymore. They were still relying on him for almost everything. And whenever a record contract would expire and they would go to a new label, that new label hiring them would be dependent upon Brian Wilson must produce 60% of the music on this record. Wow. Or you have to give a smile. Oh. And... At this point, Brightness was like, I'm not doing smile. The tapes were, I burned the tapes. The tapes were burned in a fire. Yeah. Um, they're like, okay, well, you got to do songs. So he would write songs and they would typically not get, not be very good. Yeah. And then he puts out an album called, kind of the lowest point, I think, for the band is uh, an album called, and it's, it's sad because I still love, I still love parts of this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I very much like the Adam Scharf where you just love things that are sometimes just awful. And I think people do that. They have a tendency to know, like, oh, I really love these guys, and this is not a really good song, but, man, I'm going to love it. Right. You're going to power uh, through. Yeah. it's uh, There's a song on there called Pitter Patter, which is about rain, which is a really pretty song. But then there's one called Hey Little Tomboy, which is... <laughs> uh, okay. If you're not going to censor me for shit, you're going to censor me for shit. Hey Little Tomboy, sit here on my lap. I've got things I want to tell you. Like, how that got... A written, right. B recorded, C put on a record, and D released. released as the B side of a single. Yeah, by a group with a name boggles <laughs> the mind. Yeah, how nobody got fired for that. Like, oh man. And it's not even one. It's like, oh well, maybe it's got a really cool hook at the end, or like maybe there's some like good music and there's just the lyrics are laughably bad. Like, no, no, it's just it's awful. Hmm, <laughs> um, those shorts sure fit you fine. It's like. Yikes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not. Thank you for not playing that right. on my podcast. Yeah, and it's, at that point, I think that's also why they left boys on it. Mm-hmm. Because if they were the beach men singing about that. <laughs> right. Like, that's, <laughs> like, you're just inviting the cops. That would be it. That's, yeah, yeah, that'd be the end of their career. Yeah. So, and then they move on to the, uh, the 80s. And then, uh, unfortunately, um, early 80s, Dennis Wilson is on a boat. 
and he's diving over the side and picking up stuff that apparently he had tossed there years earlier at the bottom of the marina. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he goes down and he finds like a picture of, uh, like a, a reportedly finds like one of his old wedding pictures that he had tossed off a boat that had previously been there. And he's like, look what I found. I'm going to go get more. Dives back down and just never comes up. Mm. So he drowns at 39 in um, like 19, just 1984, 83, 84, 83. Um, so he, he drowns. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate. And he had been the one that was sort of like the, the, throughout the 60s and 70s it was like the, the he was the sex symbol of the group he was like the party guy of the group yeah he was the surfer of the group and now all of a sudden like he's gone right and they have to kind of get together and keep going um and so they just do because that's what they've done they just keep going um and about this time is when uh you know reagan is president and he tells them or james is it james watt tells them that they can't <coughs> play on the fourth of july because they're a bad influence the Beach Boys are? Yes. To- okay. All right. So uh, <laughs> traditionally, every year, there's a concert on the 4th of July. Yeah. And the Beach Boys wanted to play it, or somebody wanted the Beach Boys to play it. The Beach Boys were scheduled to play it. And James Watt, the Secretary, Secretary of the Interior, mm-hmm. tells them that, no, you're a bad influence, and you bring a bad influence, and we don't want you here. So they don't based play. On, based on what, though? Um, based on Hey Little Tomboy, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, oh, right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, okay. that, that makes but here's the thing, sense. James Watt was probably really enjoyed the Beach Boys and was familiar with that section of their catalog when most people weren't. Most people are still thinking <clears throat> uh, California Girls and Help Me Run and Surf in USA. Right. So Ronald Reagan, as president, then tells them that, no, next year you are invited to play because you are America's band. And now they enter the America's band phase of their career mm. where they just, they go out and they are America's band. And that's what they're introduced. Um and it's, you know, as far as... Um, is that like, based sorry. on a wave of nostalgia, though, at that point? Or yeah. are they encouraged to, to keep creating? No, at, at this point, they are only doing... Um, at this point, they really actually become the traveling jukebox. Mm-hmm. They play the songs from the surf years, and that's it. The, okay. the latest that they go is, is Do It Again. Um, they, they don't pl- they're not playing anything off of Surf's Up. They're not playing anything off of Sunflower. You know, they don't play Disney Girls for 17, 18 years in concert. Wow. Um, they just leave all that stuff behind. They stop um, going forward and they just say, okay, we're going to do these these songs. <clears throat> um, there was a, a brief period in the early 80s where Carl Wilson had decided, had noticed that that's what they were doing. They were becoming more and more of that. And he quits the band, mm. leaves them for about a year and a half, does two solo records. Um, one of which has a song on it called Heaven, which is a very beautiful song. I encourage you to look that up. Sure. Um, it was actually the song uh, that uh, had at my wedding. Oh, I, cool. Yeah, I recorded a version of it, and I had it at the at our, at our wedding, which was really cool. Very nice. Uh, yeah, just, just another moment. We're all ties together. <laughs> um, and uh, But then his solo career doesn't sort of go anywhere, and he you know rejoins the band. Um, and then they just kind of go full on into that. And the only thing that they're doing at this point is they're tossing off songs for soundtracks mm-hmm. people places will call them up and be like yeah we're uh, doing this movie called problem child we need a song called problem child and they're like oh well we can do that and they they just put out some song called right. problem child or a song for the problem for the problem child soundtrack uh there's a movie called up the creek which had a song called chase the sky which i've only heard once because it's not available anywhere because chase the sky was only released on vinyl never put on cd so nobody mm. has ripped it oh, okay um and i only heard it on the Sirius XM channel when they were doing the beach, the beach boy summer. And I heard it and I immediately tried to find it and it, I can't get it anywhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but so they had those and then, uh, so they're sitting back there and they're hanging out with, uh, John Phillips of the mamas and the papas. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of like kind of working out a song and they get this call and they're like, Hey, this uh, Tom Cruise movie, it needs a, they want to, it's called cocktail. It's about a guy who goes and he, he's a bartender around in a, on an Island in a Island retreat. You guys wanted a song about that? So they're like, sure. And then they put out what then actually becomes their official biggest, biggest hit, Kokomo. Kokomo. Right. Sure. Which uh, I, I'm not going to pause because everybody is now doing the, <laughs> yeah. you'll get there fast and then you'll take it slow. Now they yeah. are. Yeah. Well, now they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that becomes their super biggest hit. Um, but it was one of the last times, like it wasn't originally like a hit to start with. Like Mike Love forced that into the set list every night. Really? Um, at this point, the, the different members of the band, they're all suing each other. Like, they're still on stage playing, but they're all suing each other. Right. <laughs> um, 
Mike is Mike is suing Brian because Brian's dad took the rights to the songs and sold them to somebody else. And then Mike is suing Brian when Brian gets the rights back. Brian is like, Mike says, I wrote these songs that you say that I didn't write. And Brian was like, um, okay, sure. I'll give him a second. Here's $10 million. Go away. <laughs> and then he gets $10 million in songwriting credits on all these songs. And yeah. then the different groups, the record company is owned by in equal parts by the four surviving members. So every time they want to do something, they have to get a majority to vote. Sure. But two people don't have a majority because two people only have 50%. Because then, like, you know, I guess would be now, probably like Brian Wilson would have 51% and everybody else would get 49 split, right. percent split. Right. They were all equal. So it took three people to agree to do anything, and you can't get three people to do agree to do anything when they're all suing each other. Yeah. Um, so is the band effectively Mike Loves at this point, though? Or uh, no, it's still it's still everybody's because they're still like, okay, well, Mike has one song, then Carl has a song, then Al has a song, then we have a song with a Mike and Carl song, and then we have an Al and Mike song, and then we have an Al and Carl song, right? And we just sort of they rotate through the set list like that. But Kokomo's was P- Kokomo was was pushed by Mike, right? Yeah, uh, they all sang on it, um, and Mike gets uh, credit for writing it mm-hmm. with. Um, uh, John Phillips from the from the Mamas and the Papas, um, and so he they that becomes their super big hit, and the other guys were like, well, it's just a song, and then it becomes a number one, and now they have to play it forever and ever and ever. Yeah, uh, and this kind of goes along um, as fine as it can until 1997, when Carl gets uh, sick with cancer and dies. Mm. Um, so he as it turns out, was the last, was kind of the person who was effectively the glue holding everything together. Um, He passed away before I had any, like, personal interaction with with members of the band, but everybody that I have met that has had a personal interaction with him Mm -hmm. has uh, said nothing but uh, wonderful things about him as a human being. Uh Um, And that he was just, he was sort of the peacemaker that was keeping everything together. Uh, He passes away. Mike has got tour dates lined up. Al says we should take some time to mourn. Like Carl wasn't just a guy in the band. He was the band. Right. Uh, he was the musical director. And they're like, well, we got dates. If you're not here, you're fired. Al's like, I'm mourning. And then boom. So they start going and then Al gets fired. Oh, um, then Al's like, well, I'm still going to go on tour now. He puts together his own group called Beach Boys Family and Friends featuring Wendy and Carney Wilson from Wilson Phillips and his, and two of his sons. Um, and, they start playing, and then Mike finds out that Al has a band called Beach Boys Family and Friends. Mike wants the Beach Boys name. They start suing each other again. People Jeez. are losing. Yeah, so there's just like <laughs> lawsuits flying everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then so so basically from like 1997 up until 2012, like everything just sort of splits. Uh, eventually, uh, Brian now starts going on tour by himself. Um, he gets a band together. He starts going out on tour. He's playing at first. He's playing the hits and some of his like kind of the today or summer days and summer night stuff. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he announces that he is going to do Pet Sounds Live. Nope. So this would have been 1997, 98. So he was doing this for a full solid year before the show that I went to see. Right. Um. So that's great. I see that show. Then you know I get in the band and that's all that stuff happens with me. Um. That doesn't involve the actual Beach Boys, but it involves the <laughs> tertiary sort of Beach Boys cover band. Right. And there are like th- at that point there were like three Beach Boys cover bands because they were getting another resurgence because with all three members tour, all three different three different groups touring, and then a, the John Stamos film. Yeah. Um. So like all that stuff's going on. So it's did he play with them? Yes. Okay, because I remember from Full House. Yeah. Um. He he. They get pulled in to do Full House. Yeah. Um. And they, you know, in all its eighties. Um syndicated tv show glory mm-hmm. uh but he was a big fan of theirs and he sings a song called forever on one of their records that song is actually a dennis wilson composition um that's not the jesse and the rippers forever is it yeah oh, that was a beach boy song yeah oh yeah no, oh man okay so it's actually uh it's a really pretty song oh it's uh, beautiful yeah and the um the the original version I thought they is, wrote it for the show. No, no, the original <laughs> it's, the, it's the original, too good for that. Yeah, the original version is is much I think it's much better because I like Dennis's voice on it because mm-hmm. he's so kind of broken when he's singing it. Yeah. Um oh, this is going to bring back memories. Yeah, from uh, the Sunflower record. He sing, Jesse sings this to Becky. Aunt Becky. Yeah, on the on the show. On yeah. the show. Yeah. Talk forever 
idea this was a... Yeah, it, nobody did. Jesse and the Rippers was a cover. Yeah. Well, I, Jesse and the Rippers were... I mean, they were accomplished musicians with a long career. What are they doing covering other people's song? They had they had such a catalog. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Yeah. So 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 John Stamos. I don't want to get too deep yeah. into the John Stamos part of it, but but how does he get involved with with uh, the Beach Boys? Well, basically, from my understanding, he was a fan who was uh-huh. also a musician, and so they went ahead and like he expressed it, and Mike Love, who was always looking for new ways to expand the audience, was like, oh. Well, he's young and he's good looking and he'll bring people in. And he does. He continues to this day. I think I saw them at Universal uh, just this past year. I think this this past year they played a they played at Universal. Oh, yeah. And they brought him out and the crowd goes nuts. He he sings. It, it changes their set list mm-hmm. because there are songs that he does um, or the songs that he doesn't know and the songs that he does know. Um, so when he comes out, it changes the set list and they add in forever. Um, they had a couple other songs to kind of f- feature him because yeah. people people show up to see him. Um, but yeah, so at that at that point, you've got they're they're on the t- to the TV show, and that was before Carl died. Um, so then they're all kind of going in different directions, and then Brian Wilson unexpectedly announces that for his next tour, uh, after he's done he's done Pet Sounds like four or five years in a row, mm-hmm. that he is going to go to England and he is going to do. Smile. Live. Wow. Even though he had claimed before that it was all... Yeah, that he destroyed it. That he destroyed it. it was destroyed. It was all burned in a fire. Was that a lie? Yes. Yes, it was a a horrific lie. Lion Wilson. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Lion and bear just like Lion Wilson did. (laughs) Oh. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, the tapes tapes were always there. Yeah. Um, But so he decides that he's going to go, and that's what he can do. He's going to go do Smile over in England. And he, go, he goes over to England for a couple of reasons. One, I think the, the main one is that uh, England still loves the Beach Boys, and England still keeps the Beach Boys on the same pedestal with the Beatles mm-hmm. because of what they were doing with Pet Sounds. Um, and so going over there is playing in front of a very friendly group, a, a very friendly audience that loves the music. Yeah. Um, and it's far enough away that if it didn't work out, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and even up until on that opening night, there was some concern that they would start and then Brian would not finish. Like they were concerned that that would happen because um, previously, like I saw them and they did heroes and villains mm-hmm. and our prayer. Um, previously there were stories with, like the band would start working on some of the smile era stuff. And Brian Wilson would come in and he'd sit down to rehearse and they were like, Hey, we started working on this song. Do you want to do it? And they would start playing for something from smile. And the rumor was that he would just get up and leave. Oh really? Yeah. And for years, if you go back and you watch, uh, any of the the footage of the Beach Boys playing with Brian Wilson at the Brian is back section, mm-hmm. they would uh, they would frequently still play Heroes and Villains in their set list. Mm-hmm. He would start they would start that song and he would get up and lo- walk off stage. He just would not be on stage when that song was playing. Really, like anything from um, anything from Smile would be just playing. too emotional. Yeah, or just too much. Just it was, brings him back to that place. Yeah, it was too much of the the feelings of you know I I couldn't do it. I I didn't do it and right. like the. It was just such a sensitive subject, and this was kind of like everybody heard that, and that was the big thing where they were like, "Hey, he's he's coming out the other side. He's really coming out the other side. Yeah, if he can do this." So he goes and he does he does it, and it's it's pretty good. Um, if it had been released in 1967 on time, mm-hmm. uh, I am firmly of the opinion that to to this day that we would be speaking with the about the Beach Boys instead of speaking about them as an early 60s group that sort of faded away, they would be in the same um, conversation as The Doors and uh, The Beatles um, and Hendrix and those those later bands, the, the bands that sort of defined the later 60s. Right. They would have been part of that. They just, when they dropped off, just sort of ended them and kind of lumped them in the oldie section forever instead of classic rock. Right. That, that record would have coming out would have put them firmly in the classic rock camp. Do you think it would have continued the path of that sort of like step-by-step competition of Sgt. Pepper's comes out and then Smile comes out. And you think, do you think that that, do you think Smile would have pushed McCartney and Lennon to even greater height? Do you think they would have heard that and went like, oh no, he's just up the game? Or do you think it would have been? Um, I think, I think it would have, 
they would have heard it and it would have affected them, but I don't mm-hmm. think it, I don't think it would have changed anything on the Beatles side. I think right. by the point, by the time Sergeant Pepper rolls around, you got Sergeant Pepper and then, um, do you think though, that if it, if it releases at that time, it, it stands side by side with Sergeant Pepper? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, probably as people will, it'll people, it would stand next to it. It would, it would rank below it, mm-hmm. but people would be like, man, that is still, that's really good psychedelia. Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's good. Psychedelia. Yeah. They'd be like, Man, that was like early Pink Floyd, but before Pink Floyd was Pink Floyd. Right. So you would look at that and go, like, Pink Floyd clearly heard this, and they they said we should we should be a band. Yeah. 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 That's 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 what would happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What? Um. That's. Yeah. How that how that would have happened? I don't think it would have changed the trajectory, and I still think that after it ended, after the album came out, I think they would have, um, much as the Beatles did, they would have gone on a period of. Uh, more low key stuff mm-hmm. like doing less because there's only there's only so far that you can push that right because if he had done if he had done smile and it had, been, it had come out and had been released and been successful the record companies and his own creativity and his own drive to compete would have forced him to keep going right and i just sort of feel like the that that break was inevitable it was going to happen at some point it was going to happen from the moment he had the panic attack on the plane flying to Houston. Mm-hmm. Like he was at some point he was going to snap. Right. And it was just going to end. It's just a ticking time bomb. Yeah. But we got really great music along the way. And yeah. then a legendary album. Yeah. Um, and so that it was great. And then he came over and brought it over to the U S and I saw them do it a couple times, uh, once in Washington DC. I saw them once do it once in Tampa. Um, it was really good. It just, um, but it was sort of like, okay, great. He's done it. He's broken through. He's fine. N- now what? Yeah. Um, and so then it just sort of kind of everything sort of fades and quieted down until 2012 when they got the 50th anniversary, which was they put um, Brian, Mike, and Al on a, all on a stage together. They brought back um, David Marks, who had been the neighbor from across the street that had filled in on the first two records. Oh, they right. brought him in. Yeah. So they had those those four uh, and Bruce Johnson. He was back, and then so he was kind of with the Mike Love Band the whole time. It's a sort of silent, like a silent partner mm-hmm. there. Um, so they got them all on stage for the 50th anniversary, and they did that. And I saw them do that in Virginia Beach. Um, really good show. They did stuff from from the very beginning to the very end. They put out a new record. Uh, That's why God made the radio, which was most of those tracks were recorded for a Brian Wilson solo record a few years earlier. So they would sort of walk in. It was like, okay, guys, we're just you know, kind of put the finishing touches on these and put it out as a Beach Boys record. Yeah. Um, But then after that, uh, Mike Love announces that they're going to keep touring. He's going to keep touring as the Beach Boys. And they're like, okay, well, I guess that means Brian and Al are out. Brian and Al start touring uh, together. It's still listed. It's Brian Wilson with Al Jardine. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Al. Yeah. But, I mean, he's he's still there and he's still singing. And his, uh, hearing him at the 50th anniversary, his voice has, has held up the best. Um, and is closest that? to the original Al Jardine. Okay. Um, his voice just held up the best over and closest to the 1960s, 1970s sound. Good. Good um, for Al. Yeah. He deserves it. Yeah. And justice so for Al. Yeah. And justice for Al. Justice for Jan. That's, a, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> my <laughs> least favorite Metallica record. Album. Yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> um, yeah. So then they do that. And then that's, um, that's sort of where the, that kind of the story sort of ends there. Like they're still touring and they're still doing their stuff. Man. But, um, you know, as far as what they're going to do, like that was their officially that was their first full record as the Beach Boys in 20 years. Yeah, because uh, the last one had sold less than 100,000 copies, um, and just tanked. It's crazy to think, you know, um, Paul McCartney's uh, latest album just dropped, um, Egypt Station. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's clearly all, still making music by himself. It's impossible for the Beatles to have continued. Um, you know, after yeah. a certain point. Um, but, uh, you know, when you, when you think about bands just going decade, 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 you know, the first, the first one that pops into most people's head, I think is the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the benchmark for like, geez, these guys are still going, but it's like, it's fascinating to listen to this and realize like, oh, the Beach Boys have been doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Almost to the point where like my, my, you know, as we wind down here, my final question is almost like, which, which era... As a, as a fan... As a fan. ...who has followed... I think it would be very easy for a casual fan to go, oh, early Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. But but which era do you feel truly defines their entire output? 
Is, uh, is it is that possible to to like quantify and say? Uh, or are there just too many iterations there's, there's, of the band? They kind of they changed so much. That, I mean, I can tell you, I, I can tell you which one is my favorite era. Yeah, which one is that? Um, my my favorite era would be sixty five to seventy. Even even after the post pet sound stuff, I still love all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even uh, no 65, 72, 65, 72. Okay, um, it's all really good stuff. But you know, they're I mean, their importance musically and for the the world at large, pop culture, you know, ends in nineteen sixty six. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a is a specific moment that encapsulates everything? I would say there maybe would be specific moments that encapsulate everything for an individual member of the band. Okay. Um, Mike Love can be best encapsulated by "Do It Again." Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a song about a guy who's, you know, he used to be used to be something, and now he's not, and he just wants to get it back. Wow. And that becomes his entire through line. That's that's him. That's, right. Um, that's the same song that was uh, "Be True to Your School." Is that same song? I get around is that same song, but just "Do It Again," coming at that that sort of tail end of that really creative period for them. That's that's it for them. Yeah, that's Mike um, Love. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Keep going. I love oh, it. Oh, gosh. Uh, Dennis Wilson. <laughs> Forever would be Dennis Wilson. That's where he kind of reaches his apex. That's yeah. the best thing he did. It was so good that Jesse and the Rippers, with their incredibly deep catalog, chooses to cover that song of all other songs on their TV show. Of all the, of all the Dennis songs. Yeah. Uh, and he's got some... He had some good ones. He actually produced... He put out two solo records mm-hmm. that were uh, sort of well-received. Um, one of them one of them sort of well-received. The other one was not received by very many people. <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't even get into him. Yeah. And we didn't get into We didn't get into him. We didn't get into, like, a lot of the other, like, the relationships. Yeah. Um, then Carl, uh, as a singer, you know, God Only Knows is super huge for him. But he does a song called Long Promised Road mm-hmm. on the Surf's Up record, which that is probably his, some of his best work. Okay. Um, and then Brian is just so constantly changing constantly like, i mean california girls is a, is a great song but you've got you know god only knows which he doesn't even i mean he sings a little bit on the outro for it um but he has a song that he put on his first solo record called love and mercy which probably and he closes all of his concerts with that song mm-hmm. um and that's probably what he would feel is his best his most personal song okay um and then do you feel like that one sort of uh captures his essence in the same way that the the mike love one does if you you know yeah if you were to say that if you were to say that you, you know mike you love was about his was about, personality into song form yeah it's a song um love and mercy is what you need tonight love and mercy tonight and it's just that's the 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 end of the song just everybody sings it and it's kind of if he had to do a, a message you know, that's going back to the Beatles, you know, like John Lennon, like imagine is John Lennon's big thing. Right. If you had to pick a, a solo song or a song that specifically encapsulated what Brian Wilson thought for the world, it would be love and mercy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Disney girls, obviously for Bruce Johnson <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, Al Jardine, uh, I just got to go with the uh, California because Susie Cincinnati, as much as I love it is, is not that song. Yeah. Sweet Al. Yeah. Well, we, we, we end it the way that we started on Al Jardine. Um, probably as getting, we should, as we should. Probably getting more attention in this, <laughs> in this podcast. tiny little podcast than he has um, in the past however many years. Um, well, this has been a fascinating journey. Um, I thought I knew stuff about the Beach Boys, and I ha- have been shown that I have no idea. Um, so thank you so much for coming in and um, talking to me about it. You are welcome. Is there any, as we finish off, is there anything, I'll ask you the same question I ask everybody else, is there anything that we didn't get to that you feel you want to talk about that's interesting, a little fact, or, or, or just um, something you want to throw out there? Could be about uh, the band, could be about you, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, a lot, lot, obviously there's a lot of interesting stuff about me that we haven't gotten to. But sure, in terms of we'll, we'll hold on to that. The, Beach for, Boys. Yeah. Um, uh, about the Beach Boys specifically, um, uh, there's one thing. You know, uh, the one thing I didn't talk about at all uh, was Charles Manson. I know. Yeah, I know. And I figured, like, I figured that was probably going to be like the one you were going to ask me about. I know, but there was so much information Fishing. around it. And, um, but uh, you can confirm that they did, in fact, record. They recorded. Uh, they recorded a song. Uh, Dennis Wilson took a song um, called "Cease to Exist" um, that Charles Manson wrote when he was just a struggling singer, mm-hmm. uh, struggling folk singer, and not the Charles Manson. Um, and then he reworked it as a song called Never Learn Not to Love. And it's on the it's on the twenty twenty album. It's pretty decent. Yeah. Um it's it's not great. Um 
But yeah, it was just sort of that thing like kind of he he meets the guy, they hang out. All of a sudden, this guy moves into his house, and he's like, hey, what the hell are you doing in my house? And like, oh, we live here now. And he's like, well, you got to get out. And he's like, we're not leaving. You're not leaving. He's like, okay, well, I'm out. Yeah. And he just disappears and like leaves them there, and then they sort of trash his mansion and then move on. So right. like, it wasn't like a, they weren't best friends. They weren't like super pals. It was just like some right. guy that like he met at a party and then shows up at his house yeah. and won't leave. He got drawn into it a little bit, though, I think, because my understanding of the story was that he, that Dennis was sort of into the women aspect that that charles brought in because he brought a lot of girls in from the family and would basically offer them and be like you want to sleep with one of them and dennis was like cool you know and then it wasn't until the the, you want to sleep with one of them cool you want to help us murder some people right no i'm good that was the point i'll pass it was yeah well it was the point where it was like he started pushing charles started pushing himself musically onto dennis and going like you can introduce me to your music friends that dennis was like Oh, man, that's what this is about. Um, there's actually a really good, because we are winding down, and, I'm, and, I, and I know you know the whole story, but if you are interested in the Dennis Wilson, Charles Manson thing, there's a great podcast um, that I have no affiliation with, but I've listened to it. Um, it's called You Must Remember This, and it's a podcast about old stories of uh, the first century of Hollywood. Okay. And there's a very, uh, I think, nine or ten episode series about the Manson murders. And, and and Dennis makes an appearance in a few of the episodes because he does play a role um, as far as like the relationships and stuff leading up to the Manson murders. But it's 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 very good. I recommend it. You must remember this if you if you're still curious about learning more about the Beach Boys uh, non musical <laughs> <laughs> adventures in hippie murders. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but if there's anything that uh, was anything that you I wish you would have asked me about, I don't know. No, man, that, that was a lot. There was a lot there. Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of feel like this is. I mean, you're gonna have to edit this way down. No, to an hour. No, no. I've got plans. I've okay, got plans. But um, this was fascinating. Thank you so much uh, for for just spilling all of your knowledge onto my microphone. Um, that was that was a bit tomboy on my lap. Yeah, that's that wasn't a mic. It wasn't my knowledge. It's, it's <laughs> oh not the microphone. Um, but uh, <laughs> but thank you and uh, yes, we will uh, we will um, go out and listen to all of those recommendations and um, and venture forth knowing the name Al Jardine. Thank you, thank you. It's been an awesome pleasure. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know Al does too. All right, all right. I'll do a tequila shot for him later on. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Bye. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Matt Midget, if for nothing else, showing me that Jesse and the Rippers had nothing to do with what is ultimately too good a song for a TV band to have come up with. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all at facebook.com slash whatamimissingpod. If you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, you can email me at whatamimissingpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on and tell your friends about us. Pretty please. Now, here's a preview of next week's episode. Drugs, what are those? Like very, and still to this day, I'm just like very kind of streamlined. Sure. Um, but it still like made me scared. Like just like, I've always felt like every time I left my house, I had to wear makeup and I had to like be the part and I had to be a representation for the things. Cause I'm like in my mind, a local celebrity and people know who I am. I'm <laughs> yeah. just like miss, millions of people are I'm looking miss at Cleveland. you. I miss Cleveland. People sure. will know. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>